You're listening to the Wild Women Who Write podcast. Kathy Nichols, Kim Conry, Elizabeth Jones, and Gabby Anderson. Welcome to Wild Women Who Write Take Flight. Tonight, we are very lucky to have Betty Joyce Nash. Betty Joyce's first novel came out this September. It's very exciting. It's called Everybody Here Is Kin. And it's a very provocative title. I like it very much. And the setting is super cool, but we'll get into that. Betty Joyce is a native of South Carolina and she had written short stories. She's written novels and journalistic articles. Her writing appears in literary journals such as North Dakota Quarterly and across the margin as well as newspapers and magazines, including the Christian Science Monitor. Her essays have aired on the NPR affiliate WVTF. Her work has been recognized with fellowships from McDowell, the Virginia Center for the Creative Arts, the Tyrone Guthrie Center in Ireland, and the Ragsdale Foundation, among others. She earned an MS in journalism from Northwestern University and an MFA in fiction from Queens University of Charlotte. She's taught writing at the University of Richmond and the Abermall Charlottesville Regional Jail. She currently teaches at Writer House in Charlottesville, Virginia. And tonight it's Kathy Nichols and Kim Conry who'll be talking to Betty Joyce Nash. And I'd like to get started with, <laughs> I just was reading it again. Tell us about your jailhouse stint. Oh, that's really interesting. I taught women in, um, in the jail. And of course, jail is different from prison. So these were women awaiting some sort of um, dispensation to find out where they were going to go. Like all of us, they have a lot to write about once they feel comfortable. Um, and that was the hard part, you know, just they feel awkward being there in the first place in many cases. And um, yeah, it was quite gratifying. I've never worked with um, actual inmates, but when I got, uh, while I was in college, I had to get a reading certification and we had the option of writing a paper, and this was a graduate degree, or we could tutor an ex-con in a halfway house. And I had been late to class, so I was in the front row because I usually like to be in the back row just to see what was going on. So I thought, I do not want to write another paper. Please, Lord, deliver me now. So I shot my hand up. I was the only one that was going to be a tutor in the halfway house. It was all men. When I went there, uh, it was in a place, um, uh, not a shady part of town, but an older part of town I was not familiar with. I was from Chattanooga and this was in Atlanta. So I went there and I opened the door and all the room was full of men playing pool, playing cards. And of course, when the door opened, they all stopped and looked at me. And I was in my twenties. It was a little overwhelming. And I thought, what in the heck? That paper was looking really good. And then I saw uh, across there, I saw women working and um, I, I got my courage up and went over and was assigned Bobby Ward. And I never know what happened to him, but it was such a gratifying experience. He was a mm, kind of a reader, but not really. But we, I felt like we made so much progress 
And after the show, I might tell you a little bit of our first session, but the language might offend some people. <laughs> so, so we'll wait on that. But tell us, uh, so you talked to women who were actually in trans in a tr very transitory period of their life. And, but you were able to get them to open up? Uh, somewhat, yeah. I, I think they were pretty frank. You know, most of the people who are in jail and later prison are not there because they want to be. They've made mistakes and they are, you know, they, you know, like other people, they don't, they didn't have the same advantages that you or I had growing up and unstable family circumstances. One woman had seen her father killed in her front yard um you know stuff like that that we just don't many of us most of us middle class people just don't know anything about that kind of life and I think it's easy sometimes to be a little judgmental and well or a lot judgmental and that I felt like I Bobby taught me uh, more than I taught him I felt like because it was just we didn't talk a lot about his what he'd done he's he is made it sound like a kind of a white call not white collar crime but like something with forging checks or something he wasn't dangerous or they wouldn't have put me with him but I just I we just started from that point we didn't I didn't say you know what are you doing here how'd you get here it was just well okay we're gonna we're gonna get you in a better position through literature and it was really yeah. cool. A lot of that passing bad checks is a big thing. You know, these are people who don't have resources all the time. And when they do, it's not necessarily steady. So, yeah, I get that. Well, Kim, why don't you, um, I, we had some questions that Betty Joyce submitted. Uh, we'll talk about that. And then we can talk a little about the book because I have a lot of uh, questions and um, things I really liked. And but we'll start with Kim. Well, I, I really like the idea of why this novel now and why these characters now, because there are a lot of things that we wouldn't be ready to write at an earlier point in our life. And we it's almost like our lives have been coming to this point where we are ready to write a certain thing at a certain time and everything just comes together. So why now? Boy, that's a good question. I, um, you know, I think you just write what you write. I'm, it was a title story in my collection that I submitted for my MFA. And then, and it took me, you know, quite a while to finish it because I, you know, have never written a novel before. And even though I'm an avid reader and I was an English major in college, I had been a journalist for um, 30 something years, 34 years. But I have never, you know, a novel is a whole different animal. And, you know, my first draft of it felt so thin. And I thought to myself, I'm just, it just sounds like, well, this happened and then this happened and then this happened. And it was just too, way too thin. And I just had to keep going back and investigating every character and writing what I call, and some of my teachers called over the years off the page. You know, you have to write a lot and then just to get to know your character, just to get to know your character. And in fact, I, I wrote an article a little bit about that for Writer's Digest about choosing your point of view characters. And you almost have to write from everybody's point of view until you figure out 
you know, how you're going to do it and whose story, whose uh, perspective is going to best tell the story. And I ended up with two and further maybe confused the uh, novel by using a first person voice and a third person voice, which is pretty unusual, but I, I think it really worked in this case. And, um, and again, it, it, uh, I didn't know where it was going to end up. And in fact, the title is really a last minute um, thing. Before I started sending it out, I thought, you know, I just don't like my title. And I just, you know, and that phrase is something that I would hear sometimes growing up, like at a family reunion when I was little, or people would say things like, uh, oh, well, everybody hears, you know, well, you know, he's second, I think he's so-and-so, Bud's second, third cousin, uh, or maybe by, on his mother's side, and nobody's really quite sure how everybody was related at the family reunion, except for the immediate families, and so I just, I don't know, I just kind of, yeah. I really like the title. I, I, I feel like it works on a lot of different levels, because there's, there's so many different ways to interpret that and, and meaning that you can attach to it. So I think it really works. And maybe that was just a, just a stroke of inspiration, you know, when you came up with that, I think it, I think it's really beautiful and really works. And I, I like the, um, I actually like the pivot between first and third person. Um, I know an author that writes that way, um, Susan Sands. And, and I think it works beautifully because you get that, that close first person and then you get a little more distance with with the third and well and, and third person can be close as well but if depending on what you're trying to do but i think it can really work and, and work beautifully at times so yeah i don't mind it I, I think it can be done well i would like to delve into it more more but would you give us a summary of your novel oh sure sure yeah it's about a 13 year old girl whose mother maroons them for reasons we can talk about if, if you want to, um, on a barrier island off the coast of Georgia. And really the only other um, person around near where they are, they're at, they're staying at a tourist court. Remember those, uh, it's an old tourist court. And there's a motel manager who is he is AWOL from his own life, really. He served in Iraq. It's a veteran story, and he's 10 years out, but he has not really fully uh, entered society and doesn't want to. And he finds these, I mean, I call him misanthropic, um, and he's not really, he's mostly just hiding out. And the kids are around, and he's irritated by them, and of course, super PO'd at the mom, for um, just taking off with an old boyfriend is what she did. She grew up down there near that beach and she met up with a, an old boyfriend. And the other issue that I kind of examine is the elder daughter syndrome. Lucille is 13. She's used to babysitting for her younger siblings, step-siblings actually. And um, she uh, is her mother relies on her a lot. And her mother is a nurse and often works overnight shifts. And of course, interestingly, it's illegal to leave children alone under the age of 14 in the state of Georgia. And so Will uh, doesn't know that, but he is best friends with the sheriff who definitely does know it and is asking a lot of questions. <laughs> and um, 
So yeah, that's the basic uh, setup. And, you know, um, I interviewed um, a lot of, uh, not a lot, but I interviewed veterans for the story just to, you know, just to get deeper into character. I do that a lot. And I think it's because I was a journalist and I was used to doing a lot of research and interviewing and I like doing that. And so I just feel like, I just feel better if somebody actually says, well, here's what it was really like. Here's what we did. And here's how we felt. Well, that's interesting to hear because I was quite smitten uh, when I was reading novels and I started patterning the book at first over a really classic novel, Plain Song by Kent Haroof, who's not a well-known writer. He's deceased, unfortunately, and um, it is just a beautiful book. And he has many narrators. I'm not sure how many, maybe five. And in some cases, it's just uh, like there are two little boys and even Ike and Bobby, the two little boys, get a chapter from their perspective. And I started off that way, which wasn't bad in retrospect, because I did get to know the characters. But it just didn't work. It was a mess. So what would you say was peak and the pit while writing this novel? Wow, what a great question. You know, I think the pit was when I, you know, in the early, I'm going to say years, because it probably took me a couple of years at least to write it, What when I just really felt like it was, again, too thin, and I wasn't sure how people add depth, how writers add so much depth, and I just had to keep reading and reading and even, you know, modeling, I would think, okay, I can't stop with just reporting this scene. It's got to cut deeper. How do you get that depth? And that, you know, I was always humbled by that. Because, you know, when you're reading, and I have always, as I said, been an avid reader, but when you're reading, you just can't know how um, much it takes to actually put those words on the page, the right words in the right place. And of course, I'm still um, editing it. Whenever I give a reading, I'm like, oh gosh, I'm going to have to change this when I read this aloud. <laughs> and it's, you never stop editing. I know you're all probably writers and feel that way. <laughs> that's, that's funny. There's a story and I'm pretty sure it's now I've forgotten his name, but he wrote The World According to Garp. Um, what's his name? Anyway, John Irving. John thank Irving. You. Thank you. It's killing me. But supposedly, and I'm pretty sure it's Irving. Uh, if I'm wrong, I hope listeners will comment and, tell, and correct me. But supposedly, whenever he would fly someplace, he would go to the little bookstores that they have at the airport and he would buy a copy of one of his books and on the plane he would edit it and I'm like oh my gosh stop that 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 to me is like a writer's hell you know where you are trapped and never able to stop editing your work I, I haven't had a nightmare about it yet but I feel one coming on so you're right it, you always can have it better and, and one of the questions that we talked about a little bit before we uh, went um, on air is you do such a great job of capturing 
the feel of one of these little mom and pop kind of, it isn't really mom and pop, but that's the feel of it, kind of motor court. And the time period where, you know, kids would be at the motor court with parents because it was all they could afford. They could get a little glimpse of the ocean. Uh, I, I love the fact that you capture uh, Lucille's feelings when she's when she's going into the ocean and it's like she feels like it's so much more than than she is and and she's in situations that now her mother would be arrested of course if they could find her and yet it's almost kind of beautiful you know it's like it's a wilding sort of thing and uh, tell us how someone who spent a lot of time uh, relatively landlocked captured that so well well, as I said, I did live on a barrier island for uh, five years, and um, and also my um, in-laws, um, who are dead now, but they um, they lived for in retirement at St. Simon's down in Georgia, and I spent a lot of time down there, and. I also did, again, a lot of research. I have a book that details the profile of a barrier island and what's typical and, um, you know, the wide sandy beach backed up by the tidal creeks behind that. You have the maritime forest and it was all. And then as a child, we went to Polly's Island, not every summer, but several summers. And we, we would go out in the tidal creeks and wade in the mud at low, you know, low tide and we would catch the crabs dragging the chicken neck on a string. And you know, all of those sensory details really put a reader in place. And sometimes when I run out of things to say or when I, my scenes are not quite where I want them to be, sometimes I just write and write about the setting. I just write what I'm smelling and and feeling on my fingertips and my feet and and seeing and it really helps yeah the the smell of the ocean and good and bad i think is really kind of a somewhat difficult to capture i wonder i often wonder i love the ocean and would go to the beach at the drop of a hat never lived there but i know what those smells and those feelings are like and I, I feel that someone who didn't, if they read your book, they might, they would have a better understanding of that. Uh, and Kim? I would like to know who some of your influences are. Who are some of your favorite writers? Oh, my goodness. There are so many. I should just look around and um, look around my bookshelves. And right now I'm reading, um, I'm at the point, I've been in a writer's group in uh, Charlottesville for about a decade. And all of us are starting to get our books published. And so it's exciting. So I'm reading my friends' books, some of which I read in draft. But of course, the you know, I, I grew up reading a lot of the Southern women writers, Eudora Welty and Flannery O'Connor, and um, you know, the the really the greats. And of course, I love Louise Erdrich and um gosh, uh Barbara Kingsolver, I just finished Demon Copperhead a few months ago, and she really puts the opioid crisis on everybody's plate just through Demon's persona, you know, he, he, experiencing it 
through his character makes you realize the power of fiction. It's even more powerful than nonfiction because you are living his his experience with those opioids. And it just makes such a difference, I think. It, that brings up a really cool point. Um, I know one time I was helping with a workshop. It was basically a memoir workshop. And I'm going to get a plug in for my co-writer here, not co-writer, co-host. Uh, Kim has published a memoir with her daughter about harm OCD. And I'm going to let her mention a little bit about that because we were thinking of memoirs. But uh, when in this workshop, my books are fiction and I had some of my books there and this gentleman um, was, he wasn't cranky, but you know how sometimes when you're having it at a senior citizen's place, people are a little prickly. And so he's like, well, no, I thought we were going to talk about memoir here. I, I don't write fiction. And I said, okay, you might not. I said, but I believe fiction reveals much more about the author, the author's life, the author's thoughts and emotions more than even memoir does because memoir you're selecting pieces that you want to go there and with fiction they're just slipping out and you are dropping secrets that you never even knew you had spoken or have thought about so I, I won him over uh, and but we did of course talk about memoir but have you thought about writing a memoir are you interested in that sort of thing but Kim, tell us a, a little tiny bit about yours before we go there. Oh, I think what you said is absolutely true, that you're dropping truth in fiction when, when you don't even know it because you you almost feel like you're you're incognito when, when really you're not. You, you know, it's that sense of, of being able to hide that has you exposing truth that you wouldn't even expose if you were writing a memoir. So you're just letting it fly. But maybe people who know you are going, oh, yeah, I know that this is you because this like because sometimes people can see things about you that, that you're not even recognizing yourself. So I just think that is that is so, so very true. Um, but yes, my memoir is you're not a murderer. You just have harm OCD and harm OCD is a form of obsessive compulsive disorder where you have intrusive thoughts. And by the way, most people don't realize that people with obsessive compulsive disorder, over half of them have intrusive thoughts. And a lot of those intrusive thoughts are terrifying. A lot of them are violent. A lot of these people are terrified. Oh no, what if I'm actually a murderer and I just don't know it yet? Oh no, what if I'm a pedophile and I don't know it yet? Straight people are terrified they're gay. Gay people are terrified they're straight. I mean, and it loops in their brain and terrifies them. So the book is about mine and my oldest child's struggle with that and getting treatment and how tormenting it was. And my oldest child is my co-author. And normally I write sci-fi and fantasy um, with romantic elements in it, but I, we decided to write this because it was such a torment for them and for me as a parent as well. Yeah. What a public service and what, I mean, I'm sure it was a real roller coaster for you and him to write it together, but what a healthy thing. Oh, it was, it was terrifying. And uh, when we presented it at a wellness conference, 
there were so many people that would walk up and say, you know, even with tears in their eyes and say, I think this might be what's wrong with my son, my daughter, my brother, you know, and if I never wrote any other book, that that would be the one. That's it. I, yeah, I think memoir yeah. memoirists are really brave. And um, I'm kind of sorry to hear you say that about fiction writing. I didn't realize I was really outing myself, but now I see that you're correct. <laughs> yeah. And especially when your main character is very vulnerable. And I think your vulnerabilities um, are just right there beside her or, or him. Um, well, I want to sit, ask you if there's anything we didn't ask that you would like to tell us about, and I'd like for you to tell us where we can buy your book. But before that, what are you working on now? Are you? Uh, yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned memoir because I'm writing a fictionalized memoir of my early uh, years in um, clay. I used to be a ceramic artist and I had moved to the Midwest with my ex, now ex-husband and um, we split up. I moved from this beautiful barrier island to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where that first year there must have been like 20 feet of snow on the ground that lasted from November to March. And, and he left essentially, and I was just terrified. And so it's the story of how I overcame my own struggles and um, did everything. I didn't have money. I built a kiln. I figured out how to do everything I needed to do. I even built the burners for the kiln. And it's that struggle, kind of a, a memoir. But I fictionalized it just because it is just, I just needed it to tell the story. And um, in some cases, people's stories are dramatic enough on their own to um, <clears throat> to really make it work as a um, a good piece of writing, but I didn't feel like I did. So there were are a few things that are exaggerated or maybe even completely made up, but it's been really interesting to write it. I think you have permission to do that with a memoir. It's sort of like that creative nonfiction sort of element. Like I always think of Truman Capote and In Cold Blood, it wasn't really a memoir, sort of, it was more of a memoir actually of him as than it was of the two murderers, but very interesting. So I think that will be a fun, not fun, but a rewarding, I would think it'd be a very rewarding experience. And um, I I'm, I'm can't, how are you projecting? Well, I'm not gonna ask that. I was gonna say, when can we look forward to seeing it? But I'm not going to do that because you're struggling through it right now and you don't wanna talk about that. <laughs> But do tell us where we can, anything we didn't ask about that you really would like people to know about you and your book, and then where they can look for your book. Well, that that is a good, good question. I um, I have kind of stopped thinking about it because it has been out for not that long. It came out September 24th. And, um, but I finished it, of course, a couple of years ago, <clears throat> because it takes a while to <clears throat> find a publisher for your book and um so yeah the only thing um I think that we didn't really cover that much was the character you know I the biggest hurdle I felt like I faced was making it credible that a mother would actually 
leave her children for a couple of nights um, alone uh, on this uh, barrier island. And um, hopefully I was successful at doing that. You know, it was something that my parents did um, occasionally, but we, I grew up in an earlier era when there was a neighbor to look after you and my sister was, you know, in high school. And um, so it was a completely different time period. Yeah, it feels like in some way they've both been abandoned. Uh, she, her abandonment is very obvious and his abandonment is more, I feel like society has kind of abandoned him because once you're in, experience the kind of things he experienced, you're not gonna be the same and you're not gonna fit back neatly into the cloth of where you were. And I think I hadn't thought about it as abandonment but, you know, if you walk down the streets and see homeless people, a lot of them are going to be ex or, or veterans and we've abandoned them. We, we, we may try, but we're not doing a very good job of that. And Will is not like that, of course, but I get that the abandonment theme runs through that. Well, where can we get this book? And, um, are you going to be any place? Do you are you doing book signings? Or are you trying to be someplace? That that's the worst thing I think about the writing is the marketing, but it is nice to meet people who are interested in your writing. It is great. I'm enjoying. I've had three book events so far, and I've sold out every one. In I tend to go places where I know people. I've been to. Um, of course, Charlottesville and Chicago, and um, I'm going to Greensboro, where I used to work as a reporter on Saturday. And um, then I also went down to the Movable Feast. You guys probably know about that. It's at Polly's Island. It's a lunchtime. Um, it's actually a class. You sign up by um, by signing up. It, it, it's called a class. It's not really a class, but that was a really good event. And I was a little surprised, but they do, you know, draw a big crowd and it was, you know, at my childhood uh, beach. So it was, it was wonderful, but yeah. And I, I'm trying to arrange something in Atlanta. Um, so if you know of any good bookstores, no, there are plenty. We'll send you some suggestions um, and follow up with that. So I'm assuming you're available Amazon to be ordered at bookstores? Yes. Um, yeah, you can order it from uh, bookshop.org. You can order from Amazon. You could order from your neighborhood bookstore if you want to give them the business or directly from the Madville Publishing website, just madvillepublishing.com. And I'm sure they'd be happy to ship you a copy. Well, it has been lovely talking to you. I am looking forward to your memoir. I love Lucille. Um, she may, she she may haunt me a little, but uh, that's what you want to do your characters to do. So it has been great. Thank you so much, and we will wish you best of luck. Thank you for um, having me on the show. It was really fun. You guys know a lot about books, and I really enjoy your podcast. Well, hopefully we'll see you in Atlanta. That would be great. I'll let you know. Okay. Bye-bye. Good night. Thank you for joining us tonight. We welcome your comments and invite you to check out our Wild Women Who Write website. 
Until next time, keep writing and stay wild. <laughs>